following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Hello, listeners around the world on radio, streaming, and podcast services. This is It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, and I am not a therapist, but I am your source for navigating the madness of mental health using my top 10 sayings for checking in with your best self. This episode, we're continuing our look at why smart people do dumb things. Previously, we've covered faulty self-talk, ego, imposter syndrome, and this week, we're capping it off. I am not pulling punches here. We're going to talk religion. Rabbi Michael Harvey is joining me tonight to show how interpreting scripture is not as simple as people make it out to be, which I think is incredibly important at a time where sincerely held religious beliefs are often the sole underpinning in many legal decisions involving people's rights. Like we know about the abortion fight in, in the U.S., the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but that's not the only thing going on in the world right now. Many otherwise intelligent people approach religion with a toxic mix of guilt, shame, and fear, and it leads to extremely dumb decisions. Other people use religion as a guide to make hard moral choices and become better people. And this split is true for every religion in the world. This show is probably going to focus on Christianity and Judaism, because we have a rabbi on, but... This is true for any religion that is dominant anywhere in the world. I don't want Christians to feel singled out because, okay, I keep kosher style. I'm big on rituals. Sometimes rituals involve doing things that are absolutely ridiculous on the surface. People think I'm crazy for not eating bacon or shrimp or cheeseburgers. These ridiculous rituals remind us of deeper teachings. I bring up kashrut, kosher, because eating milk and meat together, consuming pork or shellfish, we can't do this. I use those as a reminder that our food comes from living things. It's a small way that I do to make eating more than mindless consumption. That's why I do it. Not because I think there's going to be any afterlife punishment for not doing it. It's okay to eat bacon. I'm doing this admittedly silly, complicated thing because it makes me less of a jerk. It makes me more aware. I know it's privileged to be able to do it. I'm well aware there are people who can't afford to refuse any food. And I recognize that not eating meat at all, in my case, makes these rules much easier. It's just the avoidance of shellfish that still applies because I ate fish. I don't think I'm better than people who don't keep kosher. I don't think I'm better than people who eat bacon and I don't follow every single kosher rule. Yes, I have two sets of dishes, but I barely use my meat dishes because I don't eat meat. I set rules for myself based on what has meaning for me. I don't do things in search of a metaphysical reward or just to follow rules. I do the silly things that make sense. Now, this particular set of beliefs about consumption has led me to amazing conversations with a writer I work with in Norway. Dude is a modern day follower of Norse mythology. You know, the stuff most people think is just Marvel comic stuff, Thor, Odin, Loki. 
That's some people's religion. Now, I want you to think about that. If you hear anything on this show that you get offended by because it seems like somebody's maligning your faith or depicting it in a bad light. Some people's religion is being used in superhero movies right now. And somehow, that's okay. Now, Norse Smith, the real stuff, not the Marvel comics, where Thor's a redhead, not a blonde. Norse Smith has a race called the Etten, which a lot of people think means giant. But my client tells me it actually means to eat or consume. And because of this common thing, avoiding mindless consumption... We've had great talks about how these myths, these stories with complex moral underpinnings benefit humanity by raising us above the status of mindless consumers. That's how it begins. Now, I'm going to give up the contact details now because this show is going to be a challenge for some people. NotTherapyShow.com. Join the mailing list. Question contact form there. Or at Not Therapy Show on Twitter, Instagram, and X, Instagram and threads. Um, Or, you know, Leanna at Not Therapy Show is my direct email. Now, some people, again, they're going to feel like they're being attacked by this show. It's very trendy to say you feel attacked by media. Every, Every challenge is not an attack. Challenge. Challenge to your moral structure, challenge to your beliefs. That challenge guides you towards smart things instead of using religion as an excuse to do very stupid, harmful things. Week after week, I watch people behave horribly in person and on social media. They're vengeful, intellectually lazy, comically hyperjudgmental. But they claim to be people of faith. I separate because, you know, a lot of them are Christians. Or they say, I'm a Christian. So I call them a Christians instead of Christians to separate in my mind those people from the really good Christian people I know. I don't know of any religious texts, the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, the Buddhist texts, so on and so forth, I don't know of any religious text that encourages people to behave cruelly towards others. It's undeniable that many people use religion as an excuse to be cruel to others. For me, religion is about struggling with scripture. I believe this so strongly, I edited a fiction anthology, co-edited a fiction anthology called Wrestling with Gods. It's not supposed to be easy. Morality and ethics are anything but easy because being a good person usually means delaying gratification. The reason that religion is so often the excuse that smart people use to do dumb things is because religion is, in its simplest form, a series of heuristics that guide emotional reasoning. What's a heuristic? You hear this on the news all the time. Smart people go, heuristics. Heuristics are mental shortcuts. We all use them. We need to, to keep cognitive overload within manageable range. But because they're mental shortcuts, highly emotional mental shortcuts, religious heuristics can go horribly wrong. 
but I'm not just here to tell you that. I'm going to show you. After the break, I'll be joined by Rabbi Michael Harvey, author of Let's Talk, a rabbi speaks to Christians to show just how complicated this stuff can get. After this break, it's not therapy. I'm Leanna Kozner. The religion episode of the Why Smart People Do Dumb Things series. Stay tuned. You are not going to want to miss this after the break. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy. I'm still Leanna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist. We're still talking in our Why Smart People Do Stupid Things series, belief and decision-making. And I'm super stoked. I am a fan of our guest, Rabbi Michael Harvey, AKA Rabbi Mike is here with us on the program. Rabbi Mike's the Amazon bestselling author of Let's Talk, Our Rabbi Speaks to Christians. He's an ordained rabbi. He's led congregations and now he proudly serves as a hospital chaplain. Rabbi Mike, thank you for coming in. It's not therapy. I am a fan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So where, where to begin? I mean, faith is this thorny thing, right? Because so many people, they, they're logical people until those religious buttons kick in. And then all of a sudden it's all the emotions, all the confusion, all the guilt, all the shame, all the time. Um, where do you begin with people? Cause you are very LGBTQ friendly you yes. are very progressive. You, you know, are openly uh, pro-choice on the abortion issue. Where do you begin with people separating the dogma from the philosophy? I, it's a great question. And um, this is one of those uh, times when I have to remind you that rabbis are not big on brevity. So if I start talking... <laughs> Uh, too long, just interrupt me and be like, got it, let's move on. Um, let me start with a um, with a story uh, to help ease us into this uh, great question you're asking. Um, mm-hmm. When I was an undergrad at university in Boston University, um, I, I would often walk down Com Ave and there would be, um, you know, Scientologists and um, uh, Christians of certain denominations holding uh, signs and preaching and this sort of stuff. And just because I, I'm slightly masochistic, I, I um, stopped and uh, wanted to sort of interact with them. And at that point, you know, I'm, I wasn't in seminary, I wasn't a rabbi, but I certainly knew my stuff uh, in terms of my history. And so I asked one of them a question. I said, let me ask you something. Um, you guys believe that Jesus is the uh, descendant on the line of King David, making him Davidic and making him the prophesized messianic figure, because Judaism believes that Jesus comes from uh, the Davidic line, that Judaism believes mm-hmm. rather that Messiah comes from the Davidic line. And that Davidic line comes from his father, Joseph. I said, okay, mm-hmm. got it so far. Now, you also say that Joseph is not the father of Jesus, God is. So um, how do you reconcile that? And he looked me straight in the eye, panicked, um, and, um, and then said that four letter word, faith. 
And that for me, that moment defined what faith is to me. And I've hated the word ever since. Faith, whether what it was before, um, now, certainly in modern society, has become the answer to close off any questions, to cut off any uh, challenges, to shy away from any critical thinking. And it that is so different than the Jewish understanding of faith, uh, emunah, which is part of a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Faith, spirituality, um, uh, you know, intention, the emotional connection. And then there's also history and archaeology and logic and philosophy and theology, you know, I mean, all these other things, you know, faith is not an end-all be-all in Judaism. And that's a very big, uh, that's where we split, you know, quite a bit. And so I've encountered this use of the word um, faith uh, quite a bit since then, certainly in my interfaith work um, uh, before and during uh, uh, seminary and, and in my time as a rabbi serving on interfaith panels and things like that. And it's the most frustrating thing because in Judaism, we are taught to question everything. And, um, you know, we are, we are deed, not creed, right? What we do, not what we pledge. And uh, within the 40,000 denominations of Christianity, for the most part, uh, there is dogma and creed, and this is what we believe, and this is it. And if you don't get it, it's your problem, right? You don't have enough mm-hmm spirit or faith, you know, or whatever it is, it's your problem. That's so foreign to me because um, as a biblical scholar, as someone who uh, loves to read and research, uh, growing up in a Jewish household, that's all we did. um, The answer of faith to me is boring. That goes Mm -hmm. nowhere. It goes nowhere. Um, But more to your question, what we have seen as fundamentalism in America has grown, evangelicalism has grown, Christian nationalism has grown, is that this idea has become weaponized in that um, Christians are taught, certain Christians, I don't want to say all, of course, but certain the Christians that are growing in terms of this fundamentalism uh, rise are not only taught to not question, um, They're not only taught that if they do question, there's something wrong with them. They're not only taught that if they ask too many questions, they're out. They're also taught that they are absolutely 100% right and everybody else is wrong with no answers to back that up except the strong creed and faith and um, strength of the empire that they Mm -hmm. wish to build. And that to me is where this uh, purposeful ignorance, these um, those who are being purposefully misinformed um, become dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and we see this bits and pieces of this on social media with, we see some of the, the most rampant anti-Semites and uh, rampant Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and rampant uh, um, homophobia and pro-lifers and all that sort of stuff. But as soon as you start to scratch at the surface of the what and the why, and here's this and there's that, whatever, they shut down and lash out. 
like, mm-hmm. a, like a wounded animal in a corner, like because they do not have the capacity. They have never been given the opportunity to think critically about this issue. They have been told, this is what we believe. If you don't believe it, you're not one of us and everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is going to hell. You should be scared. You should be scared for them. You should be angry at them. They're all stupid, you know, and that combination has created such an issue in terms of what could be beautiful conversations, Mm -hmm. intelligent dialogue, um, peaceful and respectful religious discourse. Um, and, uh, and that to me is where we stand now on some of those big issues that you were speaking about, right? In terms of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. uh, LGBTQIA, uh, the abortion issues, they've become so weaponized. And if you ask Jewish people, you know, Judaism as a whole um, allows for abortions. Um, we do so because we understand how it's per- portrayed in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew uh-huh. scriptures. Um, the later understandings of uh, life begins at conception is an entirely Christian, dogmatic, non-biblical belief. Um, in terms of LGBTQIA, we understand, as you were talking about, the context of the clobber passages in Leviticus. Uh-huh. We can wipe away Sodom um, so easily by looking at Ezekiel. Um, on the other hand, uh, Christians have ignored that um, and said, this is what it means in this translation, and there's no deeper meaning to it. And when Paul's talking about sexual morality, that's obviously what he's talking about. And so there's this great disconnect between Jews, scholars, um, you know, people uh, who are built to critically think and take pleasure in being proven wrong or, or getting a different view. And then the other side, which is this stone wall built on sand. Mm-hmm. Um, or it, what I use all the time in my teaching sessions is, is, the, is the game of Jenga. They're standing at the top of that Jenga tower, evolved from decades and centuries of Christian dogma and Christian understanding. But if you go low enough, you start to get to our stuff. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is pull out a couple of those bottom pieces and that tower starts to tumble. And that's what they're scared of um, because that that starts to, it's not just one thing, their entire framework, their entire life view, worldview starts to fall apart. And what is the most natural human thing to do um, in terms of those situations is fight or flight, right? So they lash out and fight and will fight to the death to keep that tower going, even though they have been provided with the opportunity at, you know, to, to be able to say, this is, this is safe. You're going to be okay. You know, if, if you don't believe this, um, or if you start to question it, it's okay. And uh, that's, that's the kind of rhetoric and dialogue and education that is missing from what is rising currently now in the United States. And it's scary to see because we've seen it so many times before, but hopefully that answered part, hopefully part of your question. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I threw a kind of unanswerable question at you, right? right. It, yeah, <laughs> but but that's what we do here. Uh, right. And I I remember when I first started reading Torah myself, instead of just you know at Passover and high holidays, um, and I started going, wait, like this stuff. Why why is it telling me I can't eat the flesh of a living animal? Why is right. it you know all this stuff and diving into why it's like yikes. It was yeah. hardcore back then. I mean, yep. people did a lot of things at that time that were very logical and completely barbaric. You know, the yes. the <laughs> fact that, wow, we don't have refrigeration and we're wandering the desert. If we eat a cow one leg at a time, we have four days of food instead of one. Right. It completely makes There's, sense. I mean, giving, the, giving ourselves, giving those texts, whether they are, um, a fragment of perhaps a historical narrative or they're just mythology, either way, giving them the historical distance that they deserve of a different moral structure, um, a different time of um, technology or lack thereof, a different understanding of nature, um, of the human body, of disease, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, look, I, I, I love, you know, Moses and the prophets as much as any Jew, but they thought the world was flat, man. I mean, you know, uh, and so we have to understand that when we are looking at these things, uh, we have to be extremely careful to make sure that we put ourselves in the shoes of what's called the cultural repertoire, meaning mm -hmm. uh, there was a culture that existed when that author wrote that. That mm -hmm. author wrote that for a particular audience who understood in that culture what it was for. The things that make no sense to us made sense to those audience members who read it, if they ever read it, but it was it was meant to be, right? And so what I often tell people is, is about this is, is two things. One, nobody goes and picks up uh, Shakespeare and just thinks they can just interpret it themselves. Um, you know, the old English, the idiomatic expressions, the hints, uh, all that sort of stuff. You need a teacher to teach that to you or else you start walking around thinking when someone when he says all the world's a stage, you think it's the world is made out of wood and has a curtain and a, right like you need someone to help you understand that cultural repertoire, that idiomatic expression. And then I tell people, uh, my students, that in a thousand years, imagine someone trying to watch one of our TV shows and a political joke is made or a idiomatic expression um, or slang is said and think about how they would tear their hair out trying to figure out what the heck that's supposed to mean. That's exactly where we are in terms of mm -hmm. attempting to understand biblical texts, um, the context, the idioms, the poetry versus the prose. Uh, you know, what is the meaning? What is metaphorical? What is literal? What is a song? What is, you know, all these sorts of things that it takes a great deal of study and patience to even attempt to get into that cultural repertoire. But once you do, everything looks, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. There's nothing but questions, right? Um, you start asking the why, why are there mitzvot, uh, these, these commandments? that don't have an explanation, uh -huh. right? Why, why does it just say this and I should just obey it, right? Well, 
whoever was written for didn't need that explanation. They knew what was going on. We have lost that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to be fair and patient with ourselves in terms of being saying, okay, well, what was going on at the time? What's the context, right? So you mentioned, um, you know, dietary laws, kashrut, right? So mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stuff in there that makes absolutely no sense, um, <laughs> you know, from a, from a 21st century point of view, right? Why the heck can't they eat all these particular things? Why, you know, um, and the best example of the cultural repertoire and the, and the, my game of Jenga is the prohibition of milk and meat, right? Right. Uh, at the top of the Jenga tower is we can't have, ha can't have cheeseburgers, right? And you go down and you've got Shulchan Aruch and you've got, um, you know, commentary and Imen Ezra and Rashi and you keep going and you've got uh -huh. uh, the Torah and you've got Tosefta and you've got Talmud, you've got Midrash, you've got Mishnah, and then you've got the text, right? And so those <laughs> bottom blocks are, that bottom block is you don't bathe a calf and its mother's calf milk and its mother's milk yeah and that means we can't have cheeseburgers so if you understand some of the things that are going around in that way such as two two great scholarly theories which is if you're eating the calf that means you're wasting food because the calf uh or if you're if you're also eating the mother rather then you're, mm -hmm. you're cutting off your food supply right keep the mother right don't do that um, there's also a possible translation error, right? The word for, for milk is halav, but the word for fat is chalev. And it looks exactly the oh, same in the Torah. Right. It looks exactly the same. So someone decided to put those vowels and said it was halav, that it was milk. Chalev means fat or, or, you know, some sort of, um, animal something. Right. And, um, that makes more sense because you don't want to do that. Um, and then. Um, and then you, you, you can take that what if, and you can apply it to the land of milk and honey, the land of mm -hmm. and honey, there's no milk in Israel and milk doesn't come from the land, but Chalev does. There is, there are plentiful of animals and honey that are there. And so once you start going down that rabbit hole, and that tower starts to sway, you mm -hmm. start to get into the why, the what if, mm -hmm. and realize that you've been following the trail of a bunch of people who thought they knew the answer or okay. guessed. And it, some, and it was built on top of each other until it became law, mm -hmm. right? It became rabbinic law. And that's where I want to dive at the bottom and say, wait a minute. Um, I, you know, God bless Rashi. He's great. But he was 10th century in France. What, what do I care? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, what do I care what that guy thought? So let me go deeper. Right. And you know, the Talmud can't even agree with itself on half the things, you know, and um, I mean, it, it was a commentary on a commentary for God's mm -hmm. sake. So, uh, you know, go even, go even deeper into what are some of the translations? What does it look like? What are the manuscripts? What does Dead Sea Scrolls say? What does the Septuagint say, which came from a different manuscript? Then we get into the fun stuff. Um, faith ends all of that conversation. No yeah. context ends all of that conversation. Taking a verse, ripping it from its context and putting it up on a piece of poster board, like a fortune cookie, ruins everything that it was built on. 
And that's what we're up against. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Rashi to some of the, you know, especially the the anti-trans activists. They they just refuse to talk about it because that's where, you know, some of the multi-gender theory and everything like that comes into right. commentary. Okay, Rabbi Mike, let's pause here, take a break, then come back and do the deep dive. I want to show people it's not what you think. <laughs> People listening, anything inspires a question, comment, or suggestion. Leanna at NotTherapyShow.com. Contact form on NotTherapyShow.com. NotTherapyShow on X, Twitter, Instagram threads. Back with Rabbi Michael Harvey after this. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Back on It's Not Therapy, I'm still Leanna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist. I'm still having a great time talking to Rabbi Michael Harvey, ordained rabbi, hospital chaplain, author of Let's Talk, A Rabbi Speaks to Christians. Now, before the break, Rabbi Mike talked about the, the idea of faith being like a thought stopper. And we all know that's, we've all experienced people who do that, right? Something like abortion, something about you know uh, uh, gay people gay rights um it we are talking about things that the bible collectively old and new testament spent very little time on and yet they have become big things and when you try to have the rational conversations with people you see that programming kick in right like you said it's not there's something feral that comes out they legitimately believe because they have been taught since they were young enough to be taught that progressivism is coming for them and if they don't stamp out progressivism before it gets them progressives want them dead right it's yeah it is it is a threat it is a threat to you and your way of life yeah it's an existential threat argument and so when you start pointing out that even if you take um Deuteronomy. Sorry, Leviticus is actually Yeah, clearer. Leviticus. I was like, what did Deuteronomy yeah. say? Well, the the whole <laughs> thing about well, there's a whole lot of stuff about prostitution that they don't get on. They just get on that No, one they thing. don't. Why would yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, but uh, you know, Leviticus, it's actually not that clear because elsewhere in elsewhere in scripture, it's cleave to your wife or they don't say anything about lie with a woman as you would a woman. There's no, no conditional there's nothing phrase. about there's nothing about lesbianism, bisexual, no. transgender. No, nothing. Um, nothing. And, and but it's one, it's one verse that's repeated, which means probably it was two manuscripts coming together. Yeah. Uh, the earlier, the shorter one is um, probably the original. The other one needed an expansive version. Um, there's two words for men in there that they're ignoring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a power dynamic that they're ignoring. That's the, right. The context of. Uh, what are the verses that come before it? They're about Molech and, yep. and doing things and other, right? All of that. And then finally, what I have to really is like put the stamp on it is that if if you are Christian, your entire theology is based on finding hints and meaning outside the realm of the literal understanding within the Old Testament mm-hmm. for predictions of Jesus. Why on earth would this be the one verse that you say, no, this one's literal, and playing on the surface. Mm-hmm. It makes absolutely no sense. 
Well, if you take a literal reading of it, though, it's not don't lie with men. Right. It's, don't lie <laughs> right. with men as you would a woman. And that's when I, that's where I went, hold up, because I was clobbered literally with this passage when yeah. I was in high school yeah. that we had yeah. the the chick track hanging out evangel. I shouldn't say evangelical because there's evangelicals that are friends of mine who go, don't say that. That's not us. But right. you know, they were handing out the chick tracks where gay people in biblical times were depicted as like bikers. And the village people, real, Maybe. real historically accurate, right there. Of course, but always, is, yeah. You know, they'd always go back to this Leviticus eighteen twenty two. And when I looked at it, it's like, wait, it doesn't say, "Don't sleep with boys," right? It says, "Don't lie with a male as with a woman." And those power dynamics are talking about, about where women, women existed in society. That's where I thought it went. It's like, wait, if we let two guys hook up and just right. keep women as slaves while we're eliminating women from the social order. Right. And that's a, that's a great what if in there, right? right. Is, is if you're part of a patriarchal society and you have power over women as a man, you're not supposed to be able to submit to another man um, because you are disrupting the power and social class. Right. And so you can't, uh, lie with or know or have sex with a uh, a man the same way you would a a woman because in that exchange itself is mm -hmm. a power dynamic and you don't want to in that patriarchal uh their version of morality society yeah. that is not what you want to do but there's uh the fact that um the different words are used for the first man and the second man even hints yes. more at that point what what is the difference um, between these two distinctions? And I, I would, you know, I would challenge any Christian to tell me, no, the fact that they use two different words doesn't mean anything. Give me a break. Of course it does. They don't do this on, you know, by accident. What they're saying is we have lost the understanding of what the difference is between these two definitions, but the reader understood this type of man does not have sex with that type of man um, because of the power dynamic, right? So- and Yeah, and that's the irony of fighting it in this age is because not all males in biblical times were considered men. Right, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and when they become adults and when they get property and when they become inheritors of estates- and, Or if they ever know. did, because slaves right. didn't count. Right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? So- to say you know that that it, it's meaningless is um is beyond absurd not, yeah there's, yeah there's something that we are missing here and to me that's where the conversation begins this yeah. is trying to tell us something about a power dynamic between these two different kinds of men and their relationship to women in terms of a power dynamic which is great it's one line i wish we knew more about it but it yeah. means nothing to what how we live in this moral society today um, you know, for the most part, uh, that that particular uh, power structure, social class, whatever, has completely changed or through a different lens. And so we would not necessarily view one man to another man versus mm -hmm. women that way, at least hopefully. Um, so, so the question isn't, you know, oh, God, is, is this talking about gay people? The question is, what was the patriarchal system here? Perhaps we missed a step.
Right. There was women who were property and then there was men, but maybe there was something in between that we have missed in terms of social dynamics. Now that to me is interesting. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, to, to lump it all in and say, nope, it's just man on man sex. And that means you can't do it. And it's an abomination and they're going to kill it. Right. This is why those pastors are saying we should shoot them. Right. It's yeah. the, you know, there is a death penalty associated with it, but there's a death penalty associated to lots of things like adultery that are right. That are yeah. absurd in terms of that. So we have to understand, well, why was that harsh pun- punishment attached attached to that? But again, that's, we, we haven't even been talking about this for just a few minutes. All of this would be shut down in the brain. Exactly. The fundamentalist, you know, it's just, if you do not tell me that this means gay people are evil and need to be killed, then I can't be a part of this conversation. Right. And they, and they walk away. But yeah. that's what a loss that is from, from critical thinking intelligence. Cause we could have great conversations about, well, what does that mean? And then, um, and then later, how did some of the evangelists and new Testament scholars um, and authors view this, whether it was right way or the wrong way, mm-hmm. was Paul talking about a different kind of sexual morality, or did he have a particular understanding of Leviticus that meant this was sexual morality, or maybe it had nothing to do with it, right? Um, these are conversations that lead to respectful discourse, to growing, mm-hmm. um, to safe spaces of the what if, um, you know, agreeing to disagree without someone uh, saying, I don't think you should be worthy of life. You know, right. which is, you know, um, and to me, that is the, that is the saddest aspect of this, you know, speaking as someone who loves Torah, who loves studying it, you know, loves um, diving into this stuff, loves teaching it. They're the worst students in history. I mean, yeah. they, they, you know, it's just good Lord. They, they you know, they're failing and, and they think they're top of the class. You know, yeah. that's, it's just the worst ever. Yeah. And I mean, I, I went down this rabbit hole with you just as an example, because I think unless people hear how complicated it actually is, it's it's hard to get a sense of why religious scholars get so frustrated when people make it simple, because the thing the the thing that ties uh, scripture to critical thinking in my mind, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, um, sure. is that it is frustrating and it is messy and it eludes easy yeah. answers and it is therefore incredibly humbling. Yes, and, as and, it should yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I agree. I tend to question the word should, but I think that the books were designed based on the constant references to stiff-necked people. It is designed <laughs> to humble. And that's before you get into the New Testament and the parables of Jesus. I mean, you get into the book of Luke and it's like, what is going on? I feel like I'm on an acid trip. Right. And oh, so, yeah. okay, we're going to pause again. This is probably a good time uh, to take a break. We'll pivot from, you know, a deep dive, a close read after the break into a, a more modern framing, general thoughts, what we do. Yes, we're pushing into the final segment of the show, but this is good. So Rabbi Michael Harvey on It's Not Therapy, nottherapyshow.com for questions, comments, not put therapy show on X, Instagram threads after this, back in a bit on It's Not Therapy. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. 
We're back on Isna Therapy. I'm still Leanna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist. I'm still talking to Rabbi Michael Harvey, author of Let's Talk, a rabbi speaks to Christians about why religion can make smart people do really stupid things. Uh, before the break, before the previous break, we dove down and showed how complicated this stuff really is. Now, this is one of the things I really wanted to ask you, because I know sure. my answer, but you deal with a, a much greater breadth of people who sort of come at it the other way. Does it start from a position of they want the certainty? They want to do the exact opposite of what the books were designed to do. They don't want the questions. They don't right. want faith. Faith is what you believe when you are not certain. Right. They want certainty. Yes. Is that yeah. is that where you think they're coming from? I think so. Yes. I think that's fair to say. I would say that um, faith has now become, the word faith has now become a marker, um, a sort of uh, placeholder mm-hmm. for do not enter. You know, right. uh, we're, I don't have the, you know, I would say, you know, we don't have the capacity or it's subjective or whatever it is, but to mm-hmm. them, it's, um, I was never taught this, which means it's not important. Um, and, um, and so my answer is faith, because what I was taught was, um, if you don't understand something the way that the pastor tells you, or right. as they say it, God tells you, um, that's your problem. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough understanding. And so when they express that outward, it's so empty because we don't live in that structure, but to them, it is, um, it is the the end. It is ending the conversation because not only do they want certainty, they need it mm-hmm. because there is so much. There's so much on that level of fear and shame and guilt mm-hmm. uh, and familial, um, you know, tension that. If you were to start to even question those things yourself, you are taught to feel bad about that. You yeah. are taught that you are failing. You were taught that um, the devil's coming to get you. You're being tempted. You need to cleanse yourself, right? If you are shying away from the empire um, and shying away, you know, from the gospel according to pastor or whatever, um, then then you are a bad Christian. You are a bad person. You're, and you are flawed in some way. So imagine approaching these questions with that innate fear and shame and guilt and, um, you know, just, and this is coming from a, a religion which teaches you original sin, meaning that you're right. born a piece of crap and, you know, you're, you're going to spend your whole life trying to make up for it. Um, you know, you add that on to it and all of a sudden you start to understand why the first reaction is fight, right? Yeah. Is, um, you know, don't make me look bad. Don't make me do this because if I do, I've been taught that I'm terrible, that I'm, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. And it's so ingrained and so strong and so scary that if you talk to ex-evangelicals or people who have moved away from, from these sorts of things, the, the things that they were taught are just abusive in terms of self-esteem, in terms of confidence, in terms of self-worth. And when they break free from this, they're like, they have, they tell me, you know, I've 
hundreds of people telling me this every day, but they, they have broken free, but they felt they have wasted so much of their lives dealing with purity culture, feeling Mm. bad about themselves. Thank God they're in therapy now, or even in, you know, speaking to a psychiatrist now to try and undo this brainwiring that, um, this is the way there is only one way hell is, is what's waiting for you. If you do it wrong, eternal torment. Um, and you know, the devil's everywhere. Um, you know, everything is wrong. You just have to keep your head down and you know, whatever. I mean, imagine that growing up in that some people don't have to imagine that, but it is, beyond abusive, uh, emotionally abusive, mentally abusive, and spiritually abusive. And when people mm-hmm. get to that brink, right, they have a choice. When we start to push them, when I start to push them, they have a choice. They can say, holy moly, tell me more, right? I, I've been right. taught, I've never taught this. Great. Or, you know, shut up, Jew, you know, or, yeah. you know, whatever I hear, um, you know, um, you know, your synagogue of Satan and you're going to hell, you know, all that, all that stuff that I hear every day. But the, you know, it's the ones that say, tell me more that we nurture and we say, yeah, it's okay. By the way, this is okay. Like you're not, you know, you're, you're not a bad person for, for asking these things. And this is why other faiths exist beyond your empire. Mm -hmm. Um, But too much of it has become so strong. These yelling preachers, these, um, you know, all the fire and brimstone, it's so traumatizing to these people. And they're so stuck, um, sort of like an abusive relationship. And you ask, yeah. like, why did the person leave? Uh, clearly, you don't know much about domestic violence if you're asking why the person doesn't leave. Of In course. the same way, why doesn't the person leave evangelicalism and, and fundamentalism and Christian nationalism? Clearly, you don't know how malicious and scary it is in there or else people would just walk away from it you know that's that's a real thing we have to tap into yeah and i I mean you touched on so many red flags in terms of mental health with the need for certainty the fear shame and guilt you know the i'm a bad person instead of just i did a bad thing like people spend years separating did a bad thing and did a and am a bad person um I mean, and and in fairness, you know, we've talked a lot about Christianity because that's the dominant religion here. Whenever yeah. there's no separation of church and state, the orthodoxy becomes the problem. It's not unique right. to Christianity. It's just what we tend to get the faceful of here. And if you guys want to learn yeah, more from Rabbi Mike, Michael Harvey, Amazon bestselling author of Let's Talk, a rabbi speaks to Christians, ordained minister, uh, minister, oh my goodness, absolutely not, ordained rabbi, hospital <laughs> chaplain. I've been called worse, don't worry. Yeah, well, so you shunned it right there. Uh, RabbiMichaelHarvey.com. I do post on Instagram and on threads. And if you go to my website, you can see all the Uh, ridiculous amounts of social media that I'm trying to spread my wings over to. So that's it for my interview with Rabbi Michael Harvey, RabbiMichaelHarvey.com, author of Let's Talk, A Rabbi Speaks to Christians. Now, you may have heard a rough edit there near the end. Uh, That was pre-recorded. Mike can only record on Sundays. And since I recorded that interview with him and this show airing, Mike actually left X slash Twitter because of out of control anti-Semitism. As if to punctuate how religion makes whatever people do. I, I will not say those people are otherwise smart people. 
Some people get so down the rabbit hole of magical thinking that they think their sheer will can control the universe and so they think they can do no wrong. NotTherapyShow.com, send me a message, send me your comments, send me your suggestions. And until next time, remember, you're crazy and your faith is only a problem if it's hurting you or someone else. Take care.